John 4, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We find in this passage the woman at the well, and she's there to gather water, of course, and that makes sense. And Jesus comes along, and and he asks her for a drink, and it shocks her. Uh, Their relations between Jews and Samaritans was not such that that would take place. And yet he asked her for a drink. And so she's shocked by it. And Jesus basically tells her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you water that would last you forever. She questioned, you know, how can you give me living water? Because the well is so deep and you you don't even have anything to draw water with. You don't have a bucket or a rope or anything to get deep into the well where the living water really is. But the truth is that day Jesus was looking inside the woman's heart. He wasn't so much concerned with her physical thirst. He wasn't even concerned so much with the the labor, the task that she was sent to do, gathering water. But he was looking at the emptiness inside this woman. He already knew her life story, and we know it because we've read the passage that she had had six husbands. And she had sought for things that would satisfy her and obviously had never found the thing that would make her happy. And so Jesus comes along knowing her story, and he offers to provide her living water. And what he's talking about is salvation. And he says, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And really at the heart of that story is this thing that, that is so prevalent in society today. People are looking for something to fill an emptiness with inside, within their souls. And that's what this woman had done. She had sought one relationship after another and got into one, and then she'd realized there's still something missing in my life. And that relationship would fall apart because relationships aren't where we find our fulfillment. We find it in Christ. And so she'd move on to another relationship, and she'd get that relationship, and she'd realize that there's still something missing in my life. And we're a lot like that in the world that we live in today. In fact, I think much of what we do is driven by this desire or thirst to fill an emptiness within our souls. And it gets us into lots of trouble. For some of us, it's the same thing as the woman. It's one relationship after another, and we think that's going to satisfy us. And yet, when we get those relationships, it doesn't. For some of us, it's things. We think, if I only had this thing or that thing, and the newest gadget, the newest technology, the newest phone, the newest car, the the bigger home, if I had those things, I'd be satisfied. And we have a way of when we really want something, we go out and we get it. And unfortunately, we find that something is still missing in our lives. Augustine said this, he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I think that that's at the heart of everything that we talk about this morning is that we were designed for God. 
And we will always be restless. We will always be thirsty. We'll always be hungering for something else. And there will always be a sense of emptiness within us until we find our rest in God. In fact, the heart is what we talk about in the Bible as being where, where, where we receive Christ and the Holy Spirit and where our decisions are made. And really, like the human heart, the human heart is designed, it has chambers, doesn't it? And those chambers are filled with things. And, and it's the same thing with this heart inside of man. The heart inside of man is designed to be filled. God put us together that way. And so people attempt to fill themselves with all kinds of things. Some... Uh, it's relationships. Some, it's things. And others maybe medicate, self-medicate themselves with drugs or alcohol. And what they're doing is they're trying to fill an emptiness or a pain or a hunger deep within their soul. And really, all of these attempts leave us just feeling more empty than we were before. We begin to get frustrated. We begin to be fearful because we're realizing very quickly that nothing seems to satisfy us that there may not, in fact, be anything that will completely fill this emptiness within us. And it's then that maybe we need to turn to Christ and ask Him to fill us. And so I want to talk to you today about filling an empty heart. And the first point that I want to give you this morning is just tell you that the world is full of empty hearts. Just look around you in the world that you live in. It is filled with empty hearts. Empty hearts are those that we would describe as hurting. We describe them as broken We describe these people as needing, as wandering, as searching. But the world is filled with these types of folks. They're all around us. You work with folks like this. You live in neighborhoods next to folks like this. Some of you even live in the home with someone that has really got an empty heart. And maybe you watch them and you pray for them and your heart aches for them because you know that there is an aching and a longing within their soul that only Christ can satisfy. The world is just filled with empty hearts. Viktor Frankl said, Clinics are crowded with people suffering from a new kind of neurosis, a sense of total and ultimate meaningless in life. We're living in a time just like that. In fact, when you watch the young people today in the news and in the television, you see that they live with just a meaningless of, of life. There's no purpose. There's no reason for their existence. And it leads to frustration and it leads to de- desperation. They do crazy things, and it ultimately leads to depression. Life means nothing to them. And the things that lead us to an empty heart are are many different things, and maybe you've been there. If you've ever had your heart broken, you know that when our hearts are broken, they eventually become empty, don't they? Just like a, a pitcher or a glass that breaks, and eventually everything runs out of it. And if your heart has ever been broken, you've experienced what it's like to have an empty heart. There are those that have empty hearts because maybe they've tried their hardest at something and failed. And isn't that a time when we feel so empty, when we had set a goal in life or something that we wanted to accomplish and maybe even set it for a particular time in our life that maybe today you thought you'd be somewhere else in life than you are today, but you've not reached that goal and it leaves you feeling empty. Or maybe the hearts are empty because someone has lost someone and loneliness leaves them feeling empty. There is no more empty feeling than the feeling of loneliness, is there? Of looking out and and seeing everyone and realizing that I'm all alone, but you're not alone. God is with you. Maybe your emptiness comes from having been rejected, abandoned, or betrayed. And those are empty times, aren't they? In fact, if you haven't experienced one or all of those things, you will eventually. And it is a feeling of emptiness. 
I was thinking this last week about relationships and people that we have known. And, and it is a sad thing when relationships come to an end, when friendships come to an end. And it leaves us feeling empty. Like, what, what did we really have? And it leaves that empty feeling. Maybe your dreams have become increasingly impossible in your mind. You at one time had big dreams. You at one time thought that one day we'll, we'll be able to reach this point, and today you don't feel so much that way. The optimism is gone, and you feel empty. Or maybe you're just tired. You have no energy to go on, and you just feel like giving up. You ever been there? You ever had those moments, and uh, Kathy and I have once in a while all looked at her, and I said, I just feel drained. I feel empty, like I've got nothing to say, nothing to give, nothing else, and just emptiness. And that comes from fatigue and being tired and worn out, and this world will wear us out, won't it? Emptiness. The woman at the well was not the only empty heart, though, that Jesus ever met. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we find a passage of Scripture, the passage that deals with the harvest being plenteous. And it says this in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I believe that day when Jesus stepped out there, what he saw in his eye, what he saw was just empty souls. People that were harassed and helpless, he describes them. They have no shepherd. In other words, they're just wandering. And he saw the emptiness of an entire crowd. And by the way, I think we do well to follow in Jesus' steps and begin to look at folks in the way Jesus saw them and be moved with compassion. And when he talked about them being like sheep without a shepherd, we can relate to that because the Bible tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray, every man after his own way. And in Luke chapter 4, we find again emptiness, Jesus speaks and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. And listen to whom he proclaims it to. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came for the poor, didn't he? The captives, the blind, the oppressed, the empty those whose hearts had something missing. And Jesus has come for us. He sees deep into our souls just like he saw into the soul of the woman at the well that day. He looks at us and he sees us just as clearly as he saw the multitudes or the crowds gathered on the hillside when he described them as being like sheep scattered. He sees our emptiness. He he sees everything. He sees the good in our lives. He sees the bad. He sees the pain. He sees the loneliness. He sees the frustration. He sees it all. He sees the desires that we have and what we want from life. And he sees the emptiness within us at times. And Jesus is the living water that will satisfy that emptiness. He's the only hope. And if we're here today and our hearts are empty, Jesus is the only thing that will ever fill it. You can try anything else this world has to offer, and you will still end up with empty spaces in your heart. Something will be missing. Second thing is this. Only Jesus can fill an empty heart. We're surrounded by empty hearts in this world. Just look around you. But secondly, we need to know that only Jesus can fill the empty heart. Try as they may, people can attempt to fill their hearts with all sorts of things that will never, ever satisfy them. 
I ran across this statement and I liked it. It said simply, a heart can be cluttered and empty at the same time. I mean, think about that. Sometimes we can be so busy in life and to think that we were empty inside doesn't make any sense. How can I be empty when I've got all of these things going on? If you have children, it's hard to imagine. We, we had three children. It's hard to imagine in a family with your wife and three children, you could ever feel empty because there's plenty to do at all times. The reality is your heart can be filled with all sorts of things and you can still feel empty. Hearts are designed for God. And sadly, they can be so full of stuff that there's no room for God. How many of you in here have a a garage at your house? That's a a good thing to have. I remember when we first got married, we lived in apartments, and that was the worst thing ever. Not, Not so much the apartment. There were good things about the apartment, like no yard work and those sorts of things. But one of the worst things is no garage. Because if you have a garage, you know like I do, that garage is full of stuff, isn't it? Anything that you want to keep and your wife wants you to throw away, it is safe if you can put it in the garage. It is a man's pleasure to have a garage. And, some, and, and really, normal men have messy garages. This is the truth. We're not all guilty. I've seen Skip's garage. Skip's garage looks like a living room. It's, it's sheetrocked. It's got pictures on the wall. You could live in that thing. But for most of us, the garage is just filled with stuff. When we moved out of the parsonage next door and, and moved away, um, I came over one day and there was no car in the yard. And our youth pastor lives there. And, and I asked him, I said, where's your car? He says, it's in the garage. And I go, you got the car in the garage? I didn't even know you could ever get a car in that garage. Cars are, de- are designed, aren't, or garages are designed, aren't they, for cars. But what do we do? We fill them with everything else. And eventually there's no room for the thing that the garage was designed for. Our heart's like that. It was designed for God. That's its purpose. All of our love was designed to be given to God. In fact, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. The heart is designed for God, but we have filled it with everything else. And we fill it because we're looking for something that will satisfy us. And in our stubbornness and in our human nature, our sinful nature, we look everywhere but to God. Pascal is quoted as saying this. You've probably heard this quote before. The quote is supposedly, there is a God-shaped vacuum in, every, in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only God, the Creator made known through Jesus. And that's a beautiful quote, and it is really accurate. But as doing some research on it, I found that that's not the actual quote, that that's been kind of summarized and brought down to, to size. The actual quote is, is even more beautiful Listen to what Pascal said. He says, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss 
can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, he said, by God himself. We're filled with the world, aren't we? All around us, people have empty hearts. And it really is the design. It's, it's designed for God, but we have rejected the one thing that will truly satisfy us. And maybe you're here today, and, and that's you. You, you. you know that there's something missing, but you've been so reluctant to admit that it might be Christ that's missing in your life. This morning, I'll tell you, honestly, you will never be satisfied until you taste of the living waters. Until you get what the woman at the well got that day, you'll always be searching for something else. Solomon wrote about his search for something to satisfy emptiness in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek out and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. When you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sets out to find something to fill the emptiness in his soul. And he pursues everything, and as a king, he had the wealth to do it. He pursued everything this world had to offer, wisdom and and books and education, wealth and riches, machineries of war, women. He pursued it all. And at the end, he said that it was all vanity, that it was nothing, that it was emptiness. In fact, he concludes his book by saying this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He had searched for something to fill his heart, and he realized only serving God will fill this empty heart of mine. So we know that there are empty hearts all around us. We know that only God can satisfy an empty heart. And third, I want to share with you this morning the fact that my heart must be filled so that I can help fill others. We have a responsibility once we have Christ in our life to share him with others. If I have found the source that has satisfied my soul, why wouldn't I want to share it with anyone else? And that's our ministry. That's our mission. That's what we're expected to do with the gospel. We find Christ. He satisfies the emptiness within us, and we take him to the world and say, this is the answer that you've been looking for. But I can only share what I have. If I'm not full spiritually, there's no way I can keep filling others. In fact, this morning, if I were to have a pitcher of water here, and thank goodness for a glass of water, but if I were to have a pitcher of water here and give you all a glass, and I I were to want to, with all my heart, give you all a glass of water from my pitcher, I wouldn't get very far until that pitcher ran out. And that's the way it is when we deal with folks. If we're not constantly refilling our souls, we will run dry and we'll run empty. Those of you that teach Sunday school classes or work in ministries, this is particularly important for you because you tend to come to church and what you're doing while you're here is feeding and supplying and ministering to others. But you will run out of things to give if you quit refilling your own soul. That's why it's important you read your Bible and you have devotions and you have your times alone with God. One author said, In difficult times, carry something beautiful in your heart. I have to have something to give others. And there's a reminder of this need to be filled in the seventh chapter of John. Uh, And we're going to look there in just a second. But let me give you a little background about that seventh chapter. 
Uh, it's the final days where we're going to read of one of Israel's most joyous feasts, the Feast of Booths or of Festivals. And this feast was marked by celebration. The whole time of the feast, they would have celebrations every day. They'd play loud instruments. They'd, they'd blow horns. They'd shout at the top of their lungs. It was a celebration. It was celebrated around September, October, mid-September to October, so about this time of year. The verse that we find that kind of reveals to you what the Feast of Booths is about is in Leviticus 23, and it says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. They were tents set up with thatch roofs. And he said, This is the purpose that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so that's the festival that's going to be celebrated. And in that festival, there was a particular ceremony known as the water drawing ceremony. So they're dwelling in these booths for seven days to remind them of God bringing them out through the wilderness, of reminding them that they're dependent on God. And then in the midst of this celebration of booths, they do a water drawing ceremony. Isaiah 12 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. And what they would do is they would draw water from the stream there. And they would bring that water during the water drawing ceremony. And they would pour it over the altar. And it would find its path to a particular hole. And it would run down through the altar. And the blood offering had also been given. And and they had designed this altar so that the water and the blood would combine by the time they reached the bottom. And it was a marvelous celebration. One time there was a priest, according to the Talmud, that did not want to pour the water on the altar. That it was precious and sacred. He did not want to do it. In the midst of that, he spilled the water. And so from that point on, uh, they wanted to make sure that it was done. And so the, the ceremony even took on more of a celebration because the priest would bring the water and he would hold it high above his head so that everyone could see it. And then they would all shout for joy because of the water there. And once they had all shouted and blown the horns, he poured the water on the altar. So this was a time of celebration. And and this was the feast and this was the ceremony that had just taken place when we look in John chapter 7. And it picks up and it says, On the last day of that feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom he, whom whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So you get the picture. There's this altar and they bring the water, which represents the Holy Spirit and represents the Messiah and the kingdom that's to come. And they pour it on the altar and the celebration that is going on. And then in the midst of all the celebration, it says Jesus stood up. And I imagine he found a high place and it says that he cried. And so I don't think there was a timidness to his voice. So he shouted out with all of his heart and he said, out of the, his heart will flow rivers of water. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you want satisfaction, come to me. These are all ceremonies. And Jesus says, I'm the one that the ceremony is all about. I'm the one that's going to bring you the living waters. And if it hadn't been for Christ, we'd never known salvation. And when Christ left, he left us the promise of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so we have the living water. And it flows from us like a river, he says. 
And how important is that when we realize that once my heart is filled, what it's filled with should flow from me. We can't be secret Christians, can we? Man, if, if you and I have been saved and God has filled our hearts, it ought to flow out from us to everything, everyone else. The things that ought to flow out are, are the things that Christ did. Good deeds should flow from our life. If our heart is filled with good, the good should come out. Forgiveness should flow from our life. If Jesus forgave me and that filled my heart that was empty, then forgiveness should flow to me to everyone else. We've got to understand that our hearts have to be full in order for us to go out and fill others' hearts. If Christ is the living water, then we're the rivers that deliver water to the thirsty, filling the empty hearts. But if we're going to fill those hearts, we've got to be refilled. Ephesians 5 and 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he tells us there that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And then the results, he says, are that we sing and we praise God and we encourage one another and we do good deeds for one another. Our hearts have to be filled. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. In fact, you could not be saved today unless the Spirit drew you to Christ. The Spirit convicts us of our sins. The Spirit draws us to God. And so when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, and you got all of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean then to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It almost sounds like I don't have it all. I'm halfway empty. I need to be topped off. How much of the Spirit you have, you have it all. The question is probably how much of you does the Spirit have? Dr. John MacArthur writes this about that phrase, be filled with the Spirit. He says this, a literal translation of the verb would read something like, be being kept filled. The idea is one of keeping yourself constantly filled as you yield moment by moment to the leading of the Spirit. You all have cars. You drove here in those cars. I'm sure that none of you ran out of gas on your way here. Have you ever run out of gas, though? I was a master of running out of gas in Vallejo. When we started the church, we went as a mission project, and, and missionaries don't make a lot of money, and so I tended to keep my gas tank on the empty side of things. And I can't tell you how many times on the way home from church all the way across town, I'd run out of gas. And it was always just before the highway on Tennessee Street. And it so happened that there was two families in our church that lived two blocks over. And so I would call them, and I'd take turns. It happened enough where I'd have to take turns. But I would call them and say, I'm out of gas. And it got so bad that they, as soon as they answered the phone, they'd say, Preacher, you out of gas again? <laughs> and so they would come on out with a gas can full of gas, and they'd say, Here you go, Preacher. And I'd fill it up, and, and I'd take the gas can with me. And it got to where at one point I had to call both guys and say, You guys need to come over here and get your gas cans, because they were lined up on the wall of my house. And you'd have thought that I would have learned at one point or another that at, at some time you've got to refill the tank. That you can't fill your car's gas tank and expect it's going to be there forever. You've got to top it off once in a while. Spiritually speaking, it's the same way. 
you and I cannot expect that we can make a decision for Christ at these altars and never, ever, ever go to him again and call upon him. We'll run dry spiritually. And certainly, we will never be able to share anything with anyone else because we have nothing to share. We're empty. So the idea is to be continually being filled. And that word be, be filled comes from a Greek word that has, has three word picture meanings to it that I think are interesting. We, we know when we're filled with the Spirit, when these kind of things take place in our life. And the first meaning of that word, and it's pleru is the word, but the first meaning has the connotation of pressure. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, he says we're pressured with the Spirit. And the picture is this. It is like the wind that fills the sails on a ship. And he says that's what the Spirit is to us. It fills us like wind fills the sails on a ship. And what, what happens when the sails are filled? It pushes the ship forward, doesn't it? When we're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Ghost leads us and guides us and directs us in this life. If you want to know where you should be, if you want to know where you should go, if you want to know what your plans are for the future, be filled with the Spirit. He'll push you along to where you need to be. The second connotation to the word is that of permeation. And permeation in this sense, and I'll use coffee as an example because I love it, and I'm actually craving it right now. The second idea is permeation, and it is like a sweetener in a cup of coffee. That you apply this packet of sugar to that coffee, and you stir it in, and the sweetness just fills the entire cup. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. That once the Holy Spirit comes in, He fills our entire life. What do we mean by that? We mean that you don't just have the Holy Spirit at work in your life on Sundays. He fills your entire life. He fills your home life. He fills your work life. He fills your dating life. He fills your social life, what you do on the weekends. The Holy Spirit permeates every aspect of our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the the third thing that this word to be filled represents is a domination. A domination. And we, we express it this way like an emotion that controls us. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I was filled with anger? That is what he's describing here when he says, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, that anger controlled me when I'm filled with it. I was filled with anger. It controlled me. It, It made me do things that I wouldn't normally do. And when we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit controls us. He makes us do things that we would not normally do. He gives us the courage to do things that we might be afraid to do at other chances. We're filled with anger. We could be filled with love. We could be filled with sorrow. In other words, we're controlled by these emotions. And so when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're talking about the fact that we are moved by the Spirit like a ship. We're permeated by the Spirit like something that controls or takes over our whole life. And we are controlled by the Spirit. It causes us to do the things that we do. Let me ask you this. Are you being filled by the Spirit? Are you going to the well and drawing more water? Or are you counting on the water that you drew however long ago at salvation? We need to once in a while go back to the well. 
We cannot share with others what we do not have. So what do I need to know, or who do I know, that needs their heart filled? I just want to challenge you this morning. Think about people around you that you know that maybe need their hearts filled. And who it is that, that God has put in your life that needs you to fill them with the Spirit. And right away, as a husband, I think every one of us ought to acknowledge that God has placed our wives in our lives. And I want to be filled with the Spirit, and I want to be so full that I'm able to minister to my wife when she's empty. And husbands, that happens, doesn't it? We go off to work, and we have a great day, and, and if your wife's a stay-at-home mom, she's with kids, and I'm telling you, it'd be be- she'd probably rather go to work than stay home with the kids. And when you come home from work, there, there are times when she is just empty. And you need to be filled with the Spirit so that you can fill her. There are times that God places our children in our lives. And every one of us, if we have children, we desperately need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be able to have the Spirit's wisdom and guidance and direction as we raise our children, but not only because of the decisions we have to have and the wisdom we have to make, but because our children from time to time will be empty. They're going to go to school and they're going to come home sometimes beat down, sometimes worn out, sometimes tired. They may face challenges at school. They may be made fun of at school. They may be a loner at school. They don't always come home from school on cloud nine, do they? And as moms and dads, we need to be so filled with the Spirit that we can see their empty souls and we can fill them up, that we can give them some relief. Who is it that God has placed around you? As a wife, it it could be your husband. And this world has a way of just knocking men around. They go out into the world, and men are driven by this, this desire or this need or this ego, and we've got to be the provider, and we've got to take care of things. And, and sometimes when things aren't getting taken care of like we ought to, man's ego takes a big beating, and he feels empty and defeated. And thank God for godly wives that are so full of God and the Holy Spirit that they sense that in their husbands, and they fill his heart with goodness. Look around you. Who are you surrounded by? Who did God place in your life? Luke chapter 6 talks about the Spirit in our hearts, and it says this, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, what our heart is full of is what's going to come out of us. We can't afford to have empty hearts. We need Christ. When our heart is filled with good, it produces good. We've got to be full. I want to challenge you this morning to be someone that goes out filling empty hearts. And if I were to say, what do we fill them with? I think Scripture gives us some, some pretty clear things. Number one, I can fill an empty heart with love. The Bible says God is love. In 1 John, we're studying on Wednesdays, and it tells us that if we love God, we're to love one another also. The greatest commandment is to love God, and the second one Jesus said is like it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And wouldn't you say we live in a world that every once in a while all they need is someone to show them a little love? Sometimes we run into people whose hearts are broken and they're aching. Have you ever been in those situations where... You wanted to help, but you just didn't know what to say. 
or what to do. And I think sometimes we avoid those people because we say, I don't know what I'd tell them. I don't know what I could say to make things better. And the reality is you probably can't say anything to make it better. It is what it is. But what you can do is fill their empty heart with love. Sometimes all they need to hear is, listen, I love you. And I'm hurting for you right now. You've got a whole church family that loves you. Sometimes that's all the empty heart needs is to be filled with love. Sometimes we can fill the empty heart with encouragement. And the Bible tells us we are to encourage one another in the Lord. Encouragement. Be positive. Be uplifting. Don't be the negative person in the crowd. Don't be the one that says, oh, you'll never be able to do that. Look to those that are attempting things and say, you can do that. Look to the children that come in Sunday school and they're struggling to sometimes get through school or get through trials and just encourage them. When they do good, encourage them to keep doing good. Be an encourager. The world's just filled with so many things that discourage us. And a discouraged soul is an empty soul, isn't it? And I can fill an empty heart with kindness, can't I? And by kindness, I mean more than just kind words. Although they are important, I mean kindness in action. Just doing things for folks. When someone is empty, spiritually, emotionally, physically, when someone is empty for whatever reason, it's amazing what just a kind act will do. It's amazing what a plate of peanut butter cup cookies will do. It's amazing what a strawberry pie will do, right? It's amazing what a cup of coffee will do. Just acts of kindness. It's amazing what a few minutes of jotting a sentence or two on a postcard and dropping in a mailbox will do to fill an empty heart. And I've found that when we do that, when, when we really feel, I need to send this person a note, and when we do it, isn't it amazing that oftentimes we hear them return the, the note with something like, you'll never know how much that meant. It came at just the right time. And it means so much. That's being led by the Spirit. And that's filling people with kindness. And ultimately, we can fill empty hearts with the one thing that will truly satisfy them. And that's with the gospel. It's with the gospel. And there are those that we'll come in contact with that their hearts are empty. And we may know for a fact that they do not know Jesus. And the greatest thing we could offer them is Jesus. It may be that we need to not only tell them how much we love them and encourage them and do kind things for them, but maybe they need to be reminded that God loves them. That God loves them and He cares about them. And that He knows what they're going through. And that He has a plan for their life. And that He wants good for them. Maybe we need to direct them to Christ, to the good news of the gospel.
sweat.